Are you looking for a word from God today? If so, First Baptist Dallas is glad to present this dynamic message by Dr. Robert Jeffers. Dr. Jeffers is a premier Bible teacher, pastor, and author whose practical applications of God's truth help guide and encourage those who seek to know and follow the Lord Jesus. I know you'll be blessed. And now, the message by Dr. Robert Jeffers. You may have seen my Christmas commentary this weekend at Fox News about the fact that Christmas has been canceled for the first time in a long time in that little village known as Bethlehem. There'll be traditional services in some of the churches, but the traditional Christmas tree that is in Manger Square won't be there this year. There'll be no Christmas lights illuminated. The city officials said that such festivities seem out of step with the horrors of war that that area of the world is experiencing. The darkness of death, the darkness of war, has overcome the lights of Christmas, or so it seems. By the way, that's not the first time that's happened in Bethlehem. You remember 2,000 years ago, on a pitch black night, the blackness suddenly gave way to light as the angel made his announcement to that group of shepherds on a Judean hillside. The angel Gabriel said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that one angel's voice gave way to a multitude of angels who said loudly, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace toward men with whom God is well pleased. There is the light of Christ's birth. But that lightness was quickly eclipsed by darkness. Remember, it wasn't too long after that that Herod, hearing the news of Christ's arrival, decided to launch a genocide against the Jewish people, much like we saw just a few months ago. Herod's order was to kill every Hebrew, every Jewish baby, male baby, two years age, of age and younger. And that little village that had heard the announcement of Christ's birth, suddenly found themselves burying their dead children. The light turned to darkness. And in a sense, we've lived in that darkness for more than 2,000 years. You see, there's a real tension in the Christmas story. The light of Christ's coming, people thought, would erase forever the darkness. But it hasn't done that. Many of you right now are still experiencing the darkness of this world. Perhaps there's a place at your Christmas table this year that will be empty, that was filled with somebody last year. You've experienced the darkness of death, or perhaps some other darkness has invaded your life. And you're wondering, is Christ coming really what it was built up to be? Is light the best representation of Christ considering the darkness we're experiencing now. When you look at some of our most familiar Christmas songs, they use the motif of life. I think uh, of our service we're having this afternoon, 
One of the most beautiful parts of that candlelight service is when all the lights are turned out and we hold up our candles and sing Silent Night. Remember the third verse of that hymn, Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God, Love's Pure Light, Radiant Beams from Thy Holy Face, with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at my birth, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. You see light used to describe Christ in some of the most well-known passages of Scripture. John uses that metaphor in John 1. Remember how he introduced Jesus? He said in John 1, 6 through 9, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light that all might believe through him. John was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus described himself this way in John 8, 12. I am the, what? The light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then in John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. A number of years ago, I read an article by Dr. Robert Russell, and he discussed reasons that light was still an apt description for Jesus Christ. I want to expand on those ideas for just a few moments this morning. Why is Jesus the light of the world? Well, think about it. Light first of all, commands our attention, especially light in the darkness has a way of commanding our attention. How many of you remember just a few years ago when our power grid here in Texas failed completely? Remember what that was like for a few days? I don't know what your house was like, but mine was very, very cold, and it was very, very dark. In fact, I remember for those few days we figured out we better get all of our chores done before the night came. By five o'clock, things would start getting dark, and so we were like pioneer people from Little House on the Prairie, scurrying around to get our chores done before the night came. Because when the night came, it got very, very dark. We were stumbling around our house in the darkness, but we found a candle, lit that candle, put it on the uh, kitchen table, and Amy and I were drawn like moths to that flame because it provided light, it provided the warmth that we desired. Light, especially in the darkness, commands our attention. And that's why when Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah, 700 years before he came, listen to what he said in Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He was predicting that Jesus... His arrival would command our attention. It's amazing that the birth of Jesus commanded anybody's attention when you think about it. I mean, he was born to two parents who didn't have two denarii to rub together. He was born in a village so small it wasn't even listed on the registry of Judean cities. He was born not in a hospital, not in a home, but in an animal feeding trough. He was born 1,450 years before the printing press, 1,900 years before the radio. And yet today, 2,000 years later, his birth is the central event in human history. 
If you don't believe that, if you're skeptical of that claim, just think about this. Why is it when this last month of the year you're writing a check, if you still write checks, you'll use the year, you'll write the date, December 2023. Or if you sign a document, it will have on it 2023. 2023, what does that mean? It's been 2023 years since the most important event in human history. And everyone who acknowledges time has to acknowledge the one who split time in half, Jesus Christ. He is the focus of human history. Colossians 1 says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on the earth. Do you remember the CNN talk show host, Larry King, the late Larry King? He was Jewish. And I remember reading an interview with him one time. Somebody asked him, Larry, if you could interview anybody in the world, whom would you choose? He didn't hesitate. He said, Jesus Christ. So the interviewer asked him the ultimate follow-up question. He said, well, if you could interview Jesus and you had only one question to ask him, what would you ask him? And Larry said, I would ask him, if he really was born of a virgin. Because to me, the answer to that question defines history. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was the son of God, and he still defines history. And you know, as our church enters into a new year of ministry, a ministry that impacts not only the city of Dallas and not only our nation, but the entire world, let's remember our mission is not to lift up a moral code. Our mission is not to lift up a political philosophy for people to embrace. We are lifting up a person, Jesus Christ, who said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Light commands our attention. Secondly, light reveals our flaws. Now, this is a part of light we don't like. It reveals our deficiencies. I mean, think about it. If you're going to have a romantic dinner with somebody, you have that dinner over candlelight, not over a floodlight. There are certain things you don't want accented. It's the same way, by the way, with criminals. If uh, you're trying to protect your house, what do the police tell you to do? Put lights everywhere because light repels the darkness. Light reveals sinister motives and actions. And Jesus is a light. That doesn't appeal to everybody. Have you ever wondered why it is people are turned off, they are repelled by the gospel message, and they hate the name of Jesus? In fact, I mean, think about it. Have you ever heard anybody accidentally hit their thumb with a hammer and say, oh, my Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> or Mahatma Gandhi, Buddha, 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 no, there's one name they curse by, Jesus Christ. Why is that? There are people who are repelled by the light of Jesus. They don't like their flaws being revealed. Jesus is like a perfect straight ruler that reveals how crooked people's lives really are. And Jesus predicted that, by the way, that some people would choose to reject him in John 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light 
and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Some people are drawn by the light, others are repelled by it. You see that in the Christmas story itself. Turn over to Matthew 2 for just a moment. Here you see two very distinct reactions to the coming of Christ. Matthew 2 verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east, probably Persia, which is today's Iran, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was troubled. Literally the word is stirred up. He was agitated and all Jerusalem with him. When Herod heard the news that Jesus had been born, it bothered him. He was paranoid anyway about somebody taking over his kingdom. And the idea that another king was on the scene bothered him greatly. And remember what he said to the Magi? He said, you go and find him. And when you find him, let me know where he is so that I might worship him as well. Right. <laughs> his purpose in finding the light was to extinguish the light. He had no desire to know the real Jesus, and that's why Herod stumbled around in darkness for several years and died without ever finding him. But contrast that to these magi. We call them the wise men from the east. Something in them, God stirred up a desire in their heart to know the true God. And their desire was so sincere that God sent a star to illuminate the way and to bring them to Bethlehem to find Jesus. By the way, God does that for anybody. When God senses a heart that truly wants to know him, God will move heaven and earth to make sure that person finds him. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. If you really wanna know God, God will lead you to the same place that he led the wise men to the feet of Jesus Christ. He is our way to God. And that's why light is so powerful. Light reveals our flaws. It repels those who don't want to know God, but it draws those who want to know God. There's a third similarity between light and Jesus Christ. Light overpowers our darkness. Yes, there's a time that it seems like darkness overpowers the light, but eventually light overpowers the darkness. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, which we're going to look at next month when we resume our Ephesians series. No, I haven't forgotten about Ephesians. We're coming back to it next month. But listen to chapter 6 verse 12. Paul gives us an analysis of every problem you're facing in your life right now. Paul says, for our struggle, life is a struggle, isn't it? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That is, it's not against other people, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this what? Darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a lot of battle going on right now between the forces of darkness and the forces of light, between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And it seems like at times that darkness is winning out. 
Maybe some of you here, some of you watching are having a hard time entering into the festivities of Christmas this year. You've experienced darkness. The darkness of death of a loved one has touched your life this year. Maybe you have the uncertainty of a financial difficulty you're experiencing or a health concern. Maybe your darkness is due to a child or a grandchild who has wandered away from you and wandered away from God. In the battle between light and darkness, it seems like darkness is winning because darkness is winning for now. But it won't always be that way. A day comes when the light overcomes the darkness. Just think about the disciples themselves. That Friday afternoon we call Good Friday was a dark, dark day. Jesus had just been crucified, his body placed in the tomb. The disciples' dreams of a kingdom had been dashed. They had never been lower than they were Friday evening. But three days later, that Easter Sunday began to dawn. And an angel appeared. His appearance was like lightning, the Bible says. And the light of that angel's power illuminated the tomb and raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the darkness of death was eclipsed by the light of God's power. And that same power will rid your light of life of darkness as well. Light eventually overcomes the darkness. That is the promise for every follower of Jesus Christ. And finally, light offers us direction. That's why it's such a good description of Jesus. Light offers us direction. Now think about this with me for a moment. Imagine the captain of a giant jumbo jetliner weighing hundreds of thousands of pounds. He's trying to land that airplane in the midst of a driving rainstorm at night. There's only one place he can safely land the plane, that strip of concrete in the darkness. How does he find that place of safety? There are lights on that runway that shine, that blink, motioning for him to come to this place of safety. It's the same for us. How can we ever navigate successfully through the darkness, the uncertainty of this life with all kind of surprises that come our way and disappointments? And how can we ever hope to navigate our way through the darkness of eternity? Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We need Jesus to lead us safely through this life and safely into his presence in all of eternity. You probably, some of you, recognize the name of Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey was the most successful radio commentator on the radio, on ABC News. He was also a Christian. He once came and spoke at our church, and uh, he said when he talked to our church that many times through the years when his travels brought him to Dallas, he sat on the back row of the old sanctuary of our church and participated in worship. He was a very devoted Christian, and every year, every year without fail, on the day closest to Christmas, he would use the same story about the meaning of Christmas. 
The story was about an old farmer who had become jaded in his Christian faith. He had isolated himself from his friends and family members. He was all alone one evening. When one raw winter night, the farmer heard an irregular thumping sound against the kitchen storm door. He went to a window and watched as tiny, shivering sparrows, attracted to the evident warmth inside, beat in vain against the glass. Touched, the farmer bundled up and trudged through fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights, tossed some hay in the corner, and sprinkled a trail of salting crackers to direct them to the barn. But the sparrows, which had scattered in all directions when he emerged from the house, still hid in the darkness, afraid of him. He tried various tactics, circling behind the birds to drive them toward the barn, tossing cracker crumbs in the air toward them, retreating to his house to see if they would flutter into the barn on their own, but nothing worked. He, a huge alien creature, had terrified the birds. They couldn't understand that he actually wanted to help them. He withdrew to his house and watched the doomed sparrows through a window. As he stared, a thought hit him like a lightning bolt from heaven. If only I could become a bird, one of them, just for a moment, then I wouldn't frighten them so I could show them the way to warmth and safety. At the same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had grasped the whole meaning of the incarnation. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard his equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to, but he emptied himself. And taking on the appearance of a man, he became obedience to the point of death even death on a cross. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ did not just point us to the way to God. He is the way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Let's bow together. No one moving, please, leaving for any reason. I'm speaking to some of you who are already Christians, but you feel like you're being smothered in darkness in your life right now. Talk to Jesus about it. Let him know of your need for his help, his guidance, his power. He doesn't promise to illuminate the whole way and show you everything that's going to happen in the future, but he's like, a light, a lamp to our path that shows us the next step we need to take. He said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you in this world. Ask him right now to give you the way to go, to give you the strength to go. He'll answer that prayer if you ask him. There are others of you here that are not yet a Christian. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you would be welcomed into heaven, that you would make it there safely. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. That means confessing to God your sin, your need for forgiveness, but then trusting, not in your works, 
but in Jesus' work for you, his death on the cross. You see, when Jesus died, he wasn't dying for his sins. He had no sin. He was taking the punishment from God that you and I deserve. There are not many ways to heaven. There's one way, through faith in Jesus Christ. And today, as we talk about Christmas gifts, receiving them and giving them, how tragic it would be for you to neglect or reject the greatest gift of all, the gift of God's forgiveness. Today, if you would like to receive that gift from God, I encourage you, wherever you are, to pray this prayer in your heart as I prayed out loud, knowing that God is listening to you. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I know I have failed you in so many ways, and I'm truly sorry for the sins in my life. But I believe what I've heard today, that you love me so much you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to take the punishment from you that I deserve to take. And right now I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me, not in my good works, but in what Jesus did for me to save me from my sins. Thank you for forgiving me and help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of Dr. Robert Jeffress and everyone at First Baptist Dallas, thank you for joining us today. Our hope and prayer is that the biblical truth of this message will continue to be a blessing to you as you apply it to your life. For more information about First Baptist Dallas, we invite you to visit our website, firstdallas.org. May God bless you richly today.